Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 10th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And do you hear that, Chris? I do hear it. It's the sounds of the Anti-Up summer break. I do hear it. It sounds fantastic. It would be super peaceful as it should be, but every kid in the neighborhood is running around yapping and jumping in the pool all day. And I have that in my own house right now, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> as soon as I get off the show, they're pulling me into the pool, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, don't worry, we're not uh, doing the best of shows this summer like we have in the past, but uh, we are technically on break until our next issue comes out in a while, so uh, I'm going to be probably just sitting around the house, maybe uh, binge-watching Game of Thrones, I think, that's my... I'll be traveling, so we'll have to figure out something for the shows, because I'm missing like nine days in two weeks, so uh, okay. we'll have to figure something out. asked me about that last night, I'm like, you know, he hasn't told me he's going anywhere, so... yeah. Um, I'm not going to, we got going here. Just going to Connecticut, so like I always do. But uh, yeah, I'll be gone for a while, so we're gonna have to do either two shows next week and put one up early for you guys, or put one up really late. Yes, and of course people will be upset no matter what we do. Yeah, so. no matter what we do, they're like, "What are you doing too too early? I don't have time to listen to." This. Super liberating though, just like my marriage. I, I know I'm gonna get in trouble for everything anyhow, so <laughs> I just do what the heck. That's I'm right. right. Super liberating. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the World Series of Poker is off and running, even though we are not out there this year. And as we do every year, we recap the highlights each week here on the Anti-Up PokerCast, except for, of course, when we do a show in advance. So if you don't want to hear it, la, 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 la. <laughs> I'm not really sure who that is anymore, but whatever. <laughs> I know. All right, so through Events 5, uh, here are the highlights, and I'm going to run through them all, and then you can tell me what you want to talk about. Okay. All right. First of all, Benjamin Keyline, who took up driving for Uber when his poker bankroll went dry, was down to a single anti-chip early on in his second and final bullet and rallied back to win event two, the Colossus. Had more than 21,000 entries this year. And uh, that top prize was $1 million. Man. A lot of Uber driving. Uh, Robert Mizraki became the sixth player in history to win a bracelet in three straight World Series. Uh, and one of those other players is his brother, Michael. Um, after winning event two with a $10,000 buy-in stud event, seven of the eight players at the final table owned bracelets. And that was one of the events you wanted to play, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, no, stud eight. Oh, no, stud eight, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that was half of one of the events you wanted. Yeah, half of them. <laughs> Event number four, which is the debut of the Top Up Turbo, attracted just 667 entries. And I love when we say just. Yeah. 667. Yeah. In terms of the World Series, it's just. Uh, and some players said it was because of confusion over how the tournament was structured. Players had the option of doubling their stack in a $55 online or live satellite or paying $1,000 to double it. 
334 players satellited into the double stack while 81 paid for it and the rest said, forget it, I just need one one stack. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Lawrenceburg won event five, the dealer's choice. This was one of the uh, events that I was going to play, right, in my inner dream scenario. Yep. Uh, and he won it by using a strategy of not calling his best games when he was a dealer, but calling the games that he thought were weaknesses of his opponents. Ended up being 19 games called in this. Wow. He said he played all 19 at some point. Wow. Lawrenceburg. I think I grew up there when I was a kid. <laughs> That's right. It's like a... It's like a town. Indiana? Indiana, is that? Yeah. That's Indiana. You're in a great endorsement contract. <laughs> That's right. We're the patch. And uh, Well, what I want to talk about is how I love how the poker world comes up and makes its own words. I love 334 players satellited. Uh, it's not even a word. But oh, we make it into a word. I misspelled it, or my uh, our Google Docs just—that's uh, not a rule. Yeah, it's just not a word. And then, or a final tabled, a final tabled. It's, I love when we do that stuff. It's like you know, no, no he made the final table. You just because you're, you're so lazy, you want to make it two words. Not you, people saying it. I mean, um, but uh, the thing I like most is uh, Ms. Rocky and the the chip up the anti chip guy. That was that's like chipping a chair. Yeah, right, um, literally a chip and chair. This it is was crazy. A, um, uh, that that level was five hundred dollar annies with uh, blinds of fifteen hundred and three thousand, and you had one five hundred unit chip. That's insane. Uh, and then Mizraki, of course. It's it's funny that his brother was the one who won him in three consecutive years. One for the longest time, he didn't win a bracelet, and everyone was like, yeah. "When's he ever going to win one?" And then boom, boom, boom. You know, he wins right in a row, three in a row. And now his brother's done it. It's that's some talented brothers there, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Unbelievable. Uh, um, very, very, very talented. Uh, now, of course, this event only had 89 Right, I was going to say $10,000. Also have to people. consider that, not to take anything away. Now, of course, it was probably 89 Of the greatest. Quality yeah, greatest stuff in the world. <laughs> Versus 21,000 dreamers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. One. But, uh, but yeah, it, I, there is probably an argument that you had for it's easier to win bracelets in smaller but still, taking nothing away from that. It's yeah. an amazing accomplishment. And, just and the crazy. fact that two of them, the same family, have done it. It's yep. amazing. Really remarkable. Uh, the top-up turbo thing, that's pretty funny. I, I think I completely forgot about the top-up turbo. Do we even talk about it in our previous well, show? Well, I think we kind of briefly mentioned it. I don't think we went into the detail here, and I don't think I really understood the detail. So, I mean, I guess, um, yeah, guilty here as being one of the people that didn't really understand it. Um, that much, but uh, but you know, hey, you got experiment. You know, the great thing in uh, in business is uh, you know if you're not failing, you're not trying enough. So, yeah. um, and I don't know if you can call this a failure or not, but um, but you know, so I give them credit for trying it. But um, it is an interesting thing, though. Where I mean, obviously, they're trying to do it to encourage people to play these satellites, both on uh, WSOP.com and then actually in the uh, at the Rio. Um. And certainly made it more attractive to play one of those than to peel off an extra thousand. So I kind of the most interesting people in this tournament, I think, are the eighty-one people who yeah. peeled off the thousand. Yeah, thousand. I was just thinking that. I mean, I mean is that crazy. really? I mean, your time. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know there's a time versus you know return on investment argument to be made here, but uh, I would think you could play a. I mean, how many satellites would you have to play before you got to a thousand? I know. Five <laughs> bucks, right? I know. Uh, I don't. I, I, it is unconscionable. I, I can't even imagine any decent poker player not being able to satellite in for that double stack for less than a thousand dollars. I know it's like sixteen. If they had the time to do it. Sixteen chances at it. 
if they if they had sixteen of them. But I mean, it's like you know, ten of them would be five hundred fifty bucks, so twenty be you know, eleven hundred. So you're looking at about sixteen chances of that, or so, to try to get that instead of just paying a grand. I mean, maybe you tried a few times and didn't get in, and then the got too late, and the event came up, and you're like, ah, damn, you want? But still, jeez, thousand dollars just to double your stack. Yeah, and I'm trying to. I know they've messed with the starting stacks now, so I used to be able to figure it out without looking it up. So I don't know exactly what the starting stack was either. But the other argument would be: Is it really worth that extra thousand to double? I mean, yeah. obviously, I know you want to start with as many chips as possible. You don't want to be in a deficient a deficiency. But um, I might get there, and if I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't know I could satellite in and double it up. So now my options pay a thousand to double my stack, or just stick with my starting stack. Uh, I'm gonna stick with my starting stack. Yeah, but yeah. then again, I'm a short stack ninja. So, <laughs> uh, and then this uh, Lawrenceburg guy. I mean, it's it's a brilliant move. Um, but the only thing that I found interesting about his move is that you would have to see them play the game and de- decipher who is terrible at it. Right, right. To then call it again the next time it comes around, or when you when it comes to your turn to call, you know, and there's 19 games to choose from. I mean, clearly you'll know if somebody's bad at stud, they're gonna be bad at study and Raz and everything else, or whatever. I guess, right. but this is it's a great strategy. So he he must have you know employed it later on. It's not like he started yeah, out saying you know. Well, but, I'd imagine that this is one of those tournaments where your success at it comes more towards the later stages. In yeah. the early stages, you got people who just playing all kinds of stuff right so once once it thins out a little bit now you've got that bank of knowledge from those people and, and now you can actually really use that strategy um the other thing you mentioned and it's, it's very common sense too i think is knowing what type of games to call based on your chip stack oh yeah, yeah. so when he was uh short stacked you're never going to call a stud game and get annied out right, right. You're gonna you're gonna pull you play a, a no limit or pot limit game where you can you know shove your stack and, and double up and put some pressure on folks. Yeah. Um, so a lot of interesting strategy I think involved in that. Um, he, the games he said he called most he said were uh, Badesi and uh, I think Badoogie maybe. But um, so obviously he was comfortable with those. But uh, and uh, he did not like calling limit hold'em, which does not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but an interesting strategy, and I think uh, I, I, we probably could spend a lot more time if we wanted to talking about the strategy in a game like that. But I, I think if you gave somebody a five-minute strategy lesson, that's uh, Lawrenceburg would be a pretty good one for you. Yeah, it. that's a real good idea. Very good. All right, so um, a Michael Kaplan article in the most recent issue of Cigar Aficionado, and unfortunately it's not yet available online, so all you Annie fans need to be very stealth-like as you thumb through it at the grocery store magazine aisle um, unless you're going to pay the $12 for the copy of the magazine but, $12 um, but I subscribe to it I, you know I, I have interest beyond poker and, and scars are one of them uh, but this Michael Kaplan uh, writes a gambling article every issue um, it's not always about poker but uh, but this issue the most recent issue it was and it was about the state of modern poker it called it uh, Poker 2.0 um, and so since you couldn't read the article and no one else can read it unless they want to run out and stealthily flip through it in the Barnes & Noble um, I am going to give you the highlights and you'll just trust me that I got them right okay 
Um, all right, so first of all, Eric Seidel says he doesn't think poker will ever be as big as it used to be. Uh, many companies that did patch deals back in the heyday didn't get a good return on those dollars. And that only a few hundred people these days make more than $200,000 a year from playing poker. Uh, Clint Stitchcomb, the CEO of the new Poker Central Video Network, says mainstream companies like Chrysler, Unilever, Monster, and Budweiser are now in the poker space, offering new promise for sponsorship dollars. Ty Stewart, executive director of the World Series of Poker, says poker is still searching for its next crisp moneymaker, and that a woman winning the main event would be huge, as only 6% uh, what's up entries come from women. And then finally, Andrew Robel, who used to make half his living playing online, says Black Friday was the best thing to happen to him, while other players stuck around the United States bemoaning the loss of online poker. He traveled the world and found much softer games and made more money than he ever did online. And while he welcomes the return of online poker someday, he says that in 10 years, computers will be better at poker than humans, and no one will want to play high-stakes online poker again. Huh. Lots of digest there, so... Uh, so, uh, is Eric Seidel running for office again? I can't remember around here. <laughs> yes, yes, he is uh, commissioner in Oldsmar. He is still running for that? All right, very good. Um, well, I thought that was interesting because, I mean, how would he know uh, only a few hundred people will make that much money? I mean, is he... See the tax returns of people. Probably and, just yeah, it's probably just an estimate. Um, but uh, in those patch deals, I don't know if people really understand exactly how much advertising they get from those patches. You know when you, you know when you st- when they have like look at this Trump running where he's getting billions of dollars of of branding right now because he's running for office. You know his name just appears on a screen and it's it's worth money. So the fact that you see the patch and you see it in reruns and you see it on YouTube and you see it on all these other sites, Poker Central now and all this, I mean, I don't know what those, but that 45 seconds of that guy deliberating a, a call or not, you see that patch on that screen for 45 seconds, you know, how do you know how much it's, 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 it's obviously not something that's completely tangible. Um, right. Well, I mean, it's like anything else. I mean, there's obviously a value to it. You know, uh, we would love to see it in a patch on a final table, right? Yeah. But is it worth the price that people are setting for that exposure? I know. That's what I mean. How can so you possibly quantify that? that? Yeah, he, he thinks that those players, uh, companies probably overpaid uh, for that privilege and then found out they didn't get the proper ROI. It's possible. It's possible. Would be my argument as well to you, but uh, I am not closely into that deal as he is so and i agree with him i don't think poker will ever be that big again it, you know it there may be things that they have a resurgence or whatever but it'll never reach that height again because because everyone knows about it now and then you know what i mean it's it, it would take something remarkable for it to change it and i don't think that everything's been discovered now you know what i mean yeah. they might have smaller things like twitch or something that comes out but this is not gonna promote it and 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 create this sort of boom again. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen either. He's right. Um, um, let's just assume for a minute that he is correct on the few hundred players making more than two hundred thousand dollars a year from playing poker. That's pretty striking, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I it's it's remarkable. But then a lot of times you think about it, most of the games that are going around in our world, we can go to any poker room in our area. You're not going to find a game bigger than two five really uh, yeah right. you know yeah. you might find a rear five ten where a couple of guys are just like you know itching to do it or getting or getting together and saying hey let's you know there might be some home games like underground games in tampa where they're buying 20 grand or something but 
there aren't that many games that make that much that can offer that kind of money where you're guaranteed. Think about it. If you made $200,000 a year, you know, and there's 50, let's say it's 50 weeks instead of 52, that means you got to make four grand a week, right? Yeah. So you got to make four grand average, four grand a week playing poker. Doing it at two five, you're not doing it, you know? So yeah. you got to find a game that's gigantic and be that good at it. So it makes sense. That that does or make sense. Or be a good tournament grinder where you right. have a high cash rate. But. Yeah, but I mean, even that, if you're playing to make four grand, so you have to make what would be basically almost twenty grand a month. Six, you know, you're looking at you got to play a, the major tours, so you got to at least follow the tours, and that requires a ton of money for travel and food and expenses. So yeah, you, I mean, you got to hit the big, a big, a big payday at least once a year to get that to average that kind of money. So you're not really grinding it out in cash games, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty sad. For me, the most interesting was the Andrew Robo comments. I think that um, mostly because I kind of paralleled a little bit of our success with Andy Up, I think, and I was having this conversation with uh, Norman Chad and somebody at the Deep Stack Charity Classic. Name dropper. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> yeah, just kind of hanging out with my buddy Norm. And, um, uh, no, but they asked about Black Friday. Well, they were asking me about the magazine business in general, but, uh, and Black Friday. And, you know, I think we've probably told this on the store, on the show before, too. But as much as we hated Black Friday on a personal level, because we like to play online poker and it killed apes and all that kind of fun stuff. And it, it certainly hurt losing the poker stars advertising contract that we had, which was the biggest we've ever had right. <laughs> to this day. So, this right? day yeah. it, it still ended up being a really good thing for us because we were well positioned to um, grow from the brick and mortar um, market, which we always serviced very well and our competitors didn't. So I think this was interesting reading his comments and seeing that, yeah, you can sit around and and whine and cry about something that you can't control, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like they could undo Black Friday then, right? Right. So you had two choices. You either whine and cry and sit there and go get another job or do something different, or you look around and say, hey, where else can I play poker now? And he said, hey, I'm going to get on a plane and, and travel around, and he kept traveling and kept, and then he discovered, hey, these games were super soft here. I should have probably been playing here all along. I don't yeah. need the online poker anymore. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's a different lifestyle and all that, so I'm not saying it's a perfect replacement. But, um, but I, I really do like to see people that don't whine and, and wallow in their own self pity when something bad happens to them. That they use it as an um, encouragement to go out and, and look for something new. And and when they do that and you find something better, I think that's even better. I mean, yeah, you're never going to find anything better if you're not looking, right? Yeah, yeah reinvent yourself or just uh, you'd be surprised what you're capable of when you're put to a test like that absolutely okay uh any updates our most popular dealer contest this is uh it's exciting now because voting is now open for the 2016 Andy up uh most popular dealer uh read who was nominated and why and cast your ballot at com slash mpd through august 15th also, Dover Downs Hotel and Casino in Dover, Delaware, will host an Annie Up Set Sail series over five Sundays starting July 10th. Each event is a free roll, though two optional $5 add-ons will be offered. The winner of each event gets an Annie Up Poker Cruise for two package for our November 14th sailing out of Tampa. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. 
Yeah, a couple things I want to say here. One, the uh, MPD contest. Please be sure to read the rules that I put on the page. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have one of these very deficient iPhones, you need to allow cookies. So don't ignore that warning message if you want to vote. Um, and some other things like that. But it's really exciting that we have um, uh, more than 20 dealers competing uh, this year. We're doing just the one vote. And already uh, we're getting lots and lots of votes, so it's been very popular. So have fun with that. And then, gosh, you're going to win a cruise for free? Free. Five times? Five times. How can you not go to Dover Downs this summer and try to win a cruise for free? Or even if if you live uh, large and in charge, $10. (laughs) You take both add-ons. Yep. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, love it. I'd love to see some of our Andy Up uh, fans get out the door and support that casino and uh, join us on a cruise for the low, low price of free. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something pretty cool. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com poker's best social networking site and home of the anti-up group discussions comes from ed rindler says a few weeks ago i lost two buy-ins and a one-two cash game but never felt at the table like i did anything wrong i got home and went over my notes i'm sure i could have done a few small things differently but i think the results would have been about the same tonight i finished up almost a full buy-in but i played very poorly early on even though i won I feel like I had way too many leaks tonight. I feel like variance pulled me out this time. Have you guys had a night where you've won, but were grossly disappointed in your play? Never. I'm never disappointed. No, me neither. Ever. I I play perfectly every time. It's everybody else, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It took me a while to kind of think about this, because I'm sure, I mean, obviously there's lots of days that I'm upset with my play. Um, Not a terrible amount of them seven I play and I actually win but I'm sure there have been um, and I think it's like anything else you know we, we remember it's kind of funny though because we remember the losses not the wins right yeah always you remember every time your pocket aces got cracked but you never remember when they won a big pot for you right no. so, uh, but it took me a while to think about this so the best example I can give is um, and I don't remember this but it's been several years ago we went down to seven oh Immokalee Yes. For the, uh, they had a tournament with Scotty Wynn there. Was, I don't know if it was a, a charity event or just a celebrity event or whatever. But we went down and played that. And on the very first hand, I got it all in with pockets. Uh, queens, I think, maybe. And obviously I was up against kings and I think tens or something. So, I mean, it was a really bad move. I, I should have known by the third or fourth race, uh, raise that my queens were no good. Mm-hmm. But I was too stupid to fold and got it in. And, of course, you know, uh, binked the clean on the turn, tripled up on the very first hand, and then went on to make the final table. Um, so I don't think the rest of the day I played poorly, but that was a really, 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 really bad play <laughs> that I got really, 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 really lucky to recover from and went on. And I, I think I've always kind of felt a little bit guilty that I cashed in that tournament. <laughs> I still remember that day, too, because... Um, I played with Scotty Wynn at his table for a while, and uh, I made a decent showing, but not really good. I turn around and you're like, because I think you and I made the I made the final three tables yeah, or something like that, right. and then you and it was a pretty big tournament too. I mean, it was packed yeah, room. Yeah. We went pretty far, 
And then you, I'm like, oh my, look at all those chips you got. And then I went and played cash. And I'm like, he'll be out pretty soon, right? I mean, he, he's got to be out soon. And I'm playing cash. And then I come back, and you're, you're like chip leader at the table. I'm like, oh, man, so I, I had to go play more cash. And I went back and played cash. And that was crazy because we, we were like, that's like a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour ride home. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't get out of there till like 11 or something. It was late. It was late. That was a long day for us. But, yeah, I remember that day. Um, I don't know about the, you know, it's true. It is variance because you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get rewarded sometimes, and then you're going to play terribly and, and not get rewarded. But um, I, I do think a lot of it's variance. And one of the things that I find, too, and, and Scott's backed me up on this before, is you know, oftentimes when you're playing and you've done your studying, you've done your reading, you've practiced, you've played a lot, you've, you know, you've run over things, and you know, you're an educated player... And you find all these people are sucking out on you, and they're doing. This, and Scott would always say it's because you're playing well, but they're not, and you're doing everything right, and they're doing everything wrong, which is why you remember, you know, these people sucking out on you and playing poorly against you, because you're the one that's doing most of the right moves, and they're not. So it it, sends, it tends to stand out more for you when you're getting all these bad beats against you, and you're doing everything right, and you go home a loser. And at the same time, you don't notice it as often when you make a mistake because you don't make that many mistakes anymore because you're, you might not be a great player. You might not be able to read people as well or be a professional level, but you tend to make fewer mistakes. So when you do make a mistake and you get rewarded for it, it stands out too because you don't usually make those kind of boneheaded plays that often. So in his case, you know, when he's saying, God, I, I, I lost two buy-ins, and I felt like I played great. I can understand that, because you'll get it in with aces against someone with ace-king, and they'll hit an ace on the river, and you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Or not, you know, you'll get a, a Broadway, I mean, on the river. And you'll be like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know? Yeah. And so you didn't. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just that sometimes the way the cards fall, and maybe you, you, know, maybe you could have played the hand a little differently or something, like you said, where you said you found some small things you could have done differently. But really... You know, that's what happens. And then there's other times where you're like, oh, I, I got kings. There's no way I'm losing. You get it all in, and the guy has aces, and you suck out for the king. And you're like, ah, oh. you know, I, I played that hand terribly, and I got lucky. And then all of a sudden, boom, that's all you need to get more chips in your stack. And then all of a sudden, you start to loosen up. You play a little more hands. You play them a little differently, and boom, you're winning again. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think every one of us has gone through something like that where – you play terribly and you still win, and you play great and you lose. It's just that's the beauty of the game, and that's also the curse of it, you know. Yeah, I think as a good player, though, you have you get to understand that, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think you should feel like you cheated anyone by playing poorly and winning, right? You should just say, "Hey, this is <laughs> I got lucky tonight," and, yeah. and 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 learn from those mistakes, right? So you yep. don't play poorly the next time. Yeah. And then the same way when you, you know, I can understand the frustration when you get home. And I appreciate that Ed actually took notes and went home and studied rather than just walking out to his buddy and say, oh, my God, I played awesome tonight and I lost, right? right. He's actually studying. But that's going to happen from time to time is um, you think you play really well and, and people just hit their flushes or whatever, you know, they make those bad calls and hit. And it's just all part of the game. So as long as you can adjust to both of those, I think you're going to do fine. So. Yeah. Okay, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at anniatmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo of Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This comes from Vic G, our good buddy. This guy plays a lot of poker. 
Yes, he does. Uh, this is kind of long, so sit back, and if you're in the car, pull over. Uh, we're in a 1-2 No Limit Hold'em game at a Florida card room. After some pre-flop raising and re-raising, it's heads up to the flop with a sizable pot. The dealer puts out a flop, player one bets, then calls a raise by player two. The dealer burns a card, but in doing so, notices that this is the only burn card. He'd forgotten to burn a card before putting out the flop. He calls the floor. The dealer explains that he'd forgotten to burn the card pre-flop. The floor instructs the dealer to wash the three flop cards and the one burn card, stating that these would have been the original four cards. One card is set aside as the correct pre-flop burn card. The other three cards become the correct flop. He instructs the dealer to burn and put out the turn as normal. The floor did this very quickly, and those paying attention had no time to protest. The new flop contained the previously unseen burn card. The dealer now burns and puts out the turn card. Player one then moves all in. Player two is somewhat stunned and is just staring at the new flop, obviously disappointed, and after a while of silence, folds his hand. It's at that point that I tell him that if he was not satisfied with the floor's ruling, that he should have called the floor back to the table before mucking his hand. I think several parties were at fault here. Uh, the dealer for not explaining to the floor that significant action had occurred on the flop prior to noticing um, there was no pre-flop burn card. The floor for not asking if there was action on the flop, even though the sizable pot may have indicated as much. And was his ruling even correct if there was no flop action? Player two for not questioning the ruling prior to folding his hand. And everyone else the table for not speaking up, though because it all happened so quickly, I had only noticed the error after player one moved all in and did not think it proper to point out the error after action was on player two. Should I have said something then? What was the correct call? Which parties were at fault? What was my responsibility as a player not in the hand once action was on player two? After the hand, player two left the table to cool off, then requested a table change. He and I also discussed this uh, with the floor as well as the poker room manager. The floor agreed had he known that there was completed action on the flop, he would have ruled differently. The poker room manager went on to say that had there been no action on the flop, that the floor's ruling was still incorrect. The burn card would have been part of the original flop, so it should have been set aside. The three flop cards should have been washed, one selected as the burn, and the two joining the original burn card as the new flop. That sounds better, but if card destiny is the goal, shouldn't we just determine which of the three flop cards should have been the correct burn card, use it as the burn, and make the other three cards the f correct flop? Very good job. Man, that was tough. Yeah. Uh, Elliot's response is only slightly shorter, so. <laughs> uh, Elliot says, uh, once the flop has been laid down and acted upon by two players, both of whom put chips in the pot, the flop must stay. In this case, the chief rule from the game of golf applies. Play it where it lays. Even if the money from the flop betting round was to be refunded to the two players, there is no rational reason for taking the flop away. But if the flop is taken away, even partially, as in this instance when the four-card flop remedy was used to correct a three-card flop, the money that was bet on the flop would definitely have to be returned. If any or all the cards dealt to the players would never uh, be replaced after the initial betting round is over, why would community cards get replaced after the second betting round? These community cards belong to the players just as much as each player's whole cards. In this spot, if there was no flop betting and if the flop was not dealt prematurely, the first flop card on the dealer's left would be the burn card, 
if the dealer was right-handed and the standard stack three cards and spread the flop left to right procedure was being used. The next card off the deck would then be the third card of the flop. The only way to verify the lack of a burn by the dealer is to both count the muck and have surveillance review the placement of the flop. Otherwise, it is possible that the burn may have inadvertently been swept into the muck, rendering any decision completely unnecessary. The floor person applied a very poor solution to this situation because of the incomplete information he received. The chief mistake was the floor person not being informed that the flop betting round had been completed prior to the decision. This piece of information almost definitely would have prevented the flop from being reconstituted. The dealer and all the players share responsibility for this. If the floor person is in the process of making a decision based upon poor or incomplete information, everyone needs to speak up, especially with players, especially the players with bets in the pocket. Yeah, once that flop is out and significant action has occurred and been completed, there's no way you pull that flop back. And if for some reason you think you need to pull that flop back, you got to give them back their money. They bet that flop. You can't now make that money stand with a different flop and a different card. What if it comes ace high and the guy bet his ace, now the ace is the burn? You're making them keep that money out there? What if they were all in? You know, I mean, and the fact that the guy walked up to the table and didn't see that there was a bunch of money in the middle for the pot and that he, how could he not know? Well, I, there's so many things that agitated me about this. I mean, once I'm reading this, I mean, sometimes I, I, I always, when I read these call floors, when I get the email, I respond and say, hey, here's what I would do, but obviously I'm sitting on Dallian, right? Because I like to try to figure this out on my own right. in case I ever need to, right? And a lot of times it's really complicated, which is why I give so much respect to floors for having to deal with this on a daily basis, right? Um, but sometimes I'm just like, are you kidding me? And this was an, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, I don't understand how the floor could have shown up and not asked whether there was action. I mean, it, I, I guess it's possible that when someone says, hey, I didn't burn the flop and now we're on the turn, that it may be in your mind you're thinking, okay, well, there wasn't any action, so what's... But I, <clears throat> it's really tough for me to understand that line of thinking. I would think... Hey, so what was the action here? Because usually the good floors when they come over, what happened and what was the action are the two questions that come right out of this, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's really important in most of these floor decisions whether there was action and what kind of action there was as to what the result's going to be, particularly in this space. So um, the fact that they didn't and the fact that none of the, uh, the players spoke up, um, you know, I'll give Vic a, a little bit of a pass here. I think it's always a little more difficult when you're not in the hand to feel like you need to interject yourself into the hand, even though you need to. Um, but certainly, if I have money in that pot and you're telling me you're going to take that flop away, I'm going to have a conversation with you before you take that flop away. Yeah. And there is that, there's probably another topic for another show or another discussion, but. There is that feeling when you're at the table, especially for me and you, because we're in the industry and, and we have to be different at the table than we would be if we were in our home game. But when the floor person comes over and makes a ruling, if I don't agree with it, it's it's just, especially if I'm not in the hand. If I'm in the hand, I'm going to say everything I need to to get my money or get my edge. But if I'm not in the hand and I'm being argumentative, then all of a sudden I've got this sort of stigma on me that I'm the guy that gives the four-person crap every time he comes over or something, and I just wonder, you know, it's a they could throw you out if they want to throw you out. You know, it's their property. You know, they could ban you from their poker room and stuff. So there's a fine line between trying to get this right and trying to be and being belligerent about it you know it's right, like but hey I mean, I mean, you could do it without being belligerent no i know but I you mean, know what I, i'm saying arguing I think what i would say is you know that there's never any shame in when a floor makes a decision a- 
asking them to explain why the decision was made. A good floor will explain it to you without being prompted. Uh, a less than good floor will explain it when you ask them, and a terrible one will just walk away, right? Right, right. But there's no shame in saying, and there's a difference between saying, well, that's ridiculous, how could you be, I mean, think of making a ruling <laughs> like that, right? Which yeah. is the belligerent side. Right, right. Versus, hey, can you explain it to me? I don't quite understand how you got there. Um, and now you've started a conversation that is civil, and now you're forcing him to explain. So now that he's explaining it, right, then you can say, but these people already act on the flop and we're already on the turn. There's a lot of money bet here. And that's an opportunity now for the floor to go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then render a correct decision at that point. But if you wait until the floor walks away and sit around and talk amongst yourselves, you've given up that opportunity. So yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Because like you said, once they realize there's money bet on those three cards... You, it's illogical to take those three cards away and make them keep that money out there. I mean, it's it's literally playing blind poker instead. You know what I mean? Instead of just, it's just ridiculous. So, wow, that's a tough, tough ruling. I I I would have been fried if if that's the way it went and I didn't get it corrected. But then again, if it was me, I would have been saying, "Wait, we've bet with money cards on the table, and if I don't like your ruling, I'm getting I'm getting somebody over you, a supervisor or something, come back because it's not right." Right. Okay, we got a brand new O'Malley's move. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a loose $2-$5 no-limit hold'em casino cash game. At this table, we've got lots of players wanting to see flops and very few raises pre-flop. We've bought in for $300 and currently sit with $450 after about 4 hours of play. We open the table and have only lost two of the originals. The action is nine-handed. The small blind posts, we post the big blind, and the action goes under the gun calls, plus one calls, MP and MP1 fold, hijack, cutoff, and button call. Small blind completes, and we are in the big blind with the ten of diamonds, tray of diamonds. Yeah, not a super good hand, but we can check, so we do. The flop, however, is quite interesting. The king of diamonds... Queen of Spades, Jack of Diamonds, comes down. The small blind checks, and with about $30 in the pot, we make a bet of pot to push anyone out that may have other ideas. Everyone folds, save for the button, and we're now heads up. The turn is the Nine of Diamonds. This is a very good card for us. It completes our flush, and even though we're out of position, I like where we stand with this one. We played a big blind special and got rewarded. Our opponent has been here since the opening of the table and appears to be a solid player, not often stepping out of line. He bought in for 300 and started this hand with about 400. The pot is at $90 and we lead for 60. After very little thought, our opponent makes it 120 to go. Maybe this is an insta shove, but for some reason I just can't bring myself to do it. We call. The river is a blank, four of clubs. So we're kind of on an island here. Are we betting? Check calling? Giving up? What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. This week comes from an old friend, Jason Grimes. And uh, he says, um, let's see, uh, I don't want to like uh, poison here with his early thought. Um, all right. Playing 5-5 five, five with a $10 rock. Rock. Folks that don't know what that is, that's a force straddle. 
Uh, he says, I've had a rough day. Uh, oh, me, no. a rough day is any day where I'm forced to play 5-5 with the 10 rocks. So. <laughs> um, I was down around 1,200 at one point, but now I'm down around squiggly 400-ish with a stack of 16 to 1,700. There are a couple $10 limpers when the action gets to me, and I have the 6 of spades, 7 of spades. Oh, are we, um, yeah, we don't know exactly where he is, but we know he's not, he's not in early position, so, um, well, there's a lot of limpers. I will say, reading ahead, he is before the cutoff, so, okay, middle. Middle. Um, the thing I like about suited connectors is I like to be later in in position, and I like to have enough money out there to, to make it worth playing him. We've got a few limpers, so I could probably go with a limp here, um. I, I can see the the reason for raising because if you raise it just enough that you'll get the guys behind you out and you'll be in position and you get the other guys to call where it's not too much you've made the raise and you'll get enough money out there to make the connectors worth it if you're playing cards. If you're playing people, then I always raise. It, it, you know, If I'm just trying to take down a pawn, take command of a hand, I'm always raising if I'm playing the people that are in the hand. So I don't really understand how these other people play, so doing it blindly like this, I would probably limp along. Uh, I can defend all three. I just will it, um, suggest to players that whatever decision they make is going to dictate how they play the hand. Yes, so, yes. Um, I, there's no shame in folding a hand, a seven high hand. I think. Um, I think you've got uh, good odds here and good expectation that some other people are going to come along to make the the limp uh, correct move. And I also always like raising with suited connectors because now I can represent a wide string of hands. And then if I do hit my hand, um, then it, it's well disguised. So I, I can go any route here. So I'm going to say, generally speaking, I'm going to limp here. So that's what I'm going to do. But All right, we're both limping. We would not have a fault with anybody that did uh, that folded or raised. Wow. Yet. Right. They do all that and they play poorly the rest of the hand. Then we get Ed Riddler on them. Uh, alright so he says uh, there's uh, so far there's been little aggression pre-flop so I probably should have raised so that might be mistake number one Um, yeah I guess if it's a pretty tight table there then that's all the more reason to raise and try to take down a pot or get isolated yeah and that that gets back to my original comment about if you're playing people and if it's a passive thing then you, you might raise with it because it's a passive table so you're playing the people not the cards so in that case yes raise um, all right, he says the cutoff uh, raises to 40. By the time he gets back to me, there's one more caller. So there's about 100 to 110 in the pot, and it is on us. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I want to compound a mistake, because now I've got somebody behind me, so I'm not last to act. Uh, 30 to win. How much? 120? Eh, 4 to 1 your money, but it's pre-flop. I don't know. Well, it depends. I don't think there was any caller in between us and the cutoff, so we would be closing the action off here. That helps. No, I mean later in the hand. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I call. I, I just it's such a it's a seven high hand. You know what I mean? I mean, I know you have the potential to pop something that would be surprising to this guy, but he's behind you now the rest of the way. Um. All right. Well, I guess we'll just call because of the pot odds. 
Well, I'm wondering about the pot odds here. So we got to call another 30, right, to right. win to a pot that is, well, 100 to 110. So let's say, let's get to the high end. So 30 to be 140. So for, yeah, I think we do have the pot odds, right? Uh, but I would say even beyond the pot odds here, I think we're so deep here that I think this is an opportunity to get to a pot where you can stack some people. Yeah. And it's not going to hurt you very much if, if the flop comes and it's nowhere near six and seven and nowhere near spades. Right, if it's king, queen, right. queen, all, all, all red, and <laughs> didn't get out. There's a $40 lottery ticket that didn't come in. So. Right, right. So I'm going to call as well, too. Wow, it's two things we're doing together. That's, that's not good. Um, so he says, uh, I decided to call as well. So we're three-handed uh, with roughly 130 in the pot. And now he says, here's another huge mistake I made. Mistake number two, in case you're counting at home. Jeez. Make sure we don't. The stupid rock mandatory straddle has broken my mind. This cutoff guy is actually under the gun. With the straddle, I got my positions all jacked up. So on the one hand, I'm sorry for messing you guys up on that. Uh, I don't know what he means by that. Um, he says, now you guys hate straddles, and I can appreciate that. However, I sit this game often, so I understand it's a mandatory straddle game. And me not paying attention to whether the button is uh, is in relation to straddle is 100% on me. If you're going to play a straddle game, it's probably best to pay attention to the stupid table, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he says, under the gun, acted last pre-flop, but he's under the gun for the rest of the hand, but was the original racer to 40 and has around 1,500 behind at this point. As the middle position player originally just limped for 10, called a $40 raise and has $600. I'll be acting last, limp for 10, called the 40, and we'll have 1600 to 1700 Well, that's great. I mean, at least now it's we're in position. Well, right? Yeah, it actually worked out well for us. So his mistake actually ended up being a... Was just like uh, we talked about earlier when we were saying you make mistakes and it works out in your favor sometimes, and that's what happened here. All right, the flop is five of clubs, eight of clubs, King of Diamonds, under the gun leads out for a hundred. Middle position player calls, and it is on us. Ugh. Yeah, you know it's it's funny. It's I don't know. I I you know this is the type of hand where if you make it, you're gonna you're gonna get all of your money and you're gonna win it all. But at the same time, that he don't, he's got sixteen hundred. And so he's already put in 40. I guess maybe I do call then. I think I'm deep enough that I'm going to call this. Because since we got another call or now, no bigger straight is going to be made. So if we make our straight, we're going to cash in. And somebody could easily have a king here. Um, you know, Even more. Somebody could even have an overpair and think they're good. And they think you have the king, so they're going to get in with you. And you're going to have the straight. And you're going to be they're going to be drawn dead on you. So I think I definitely call. Because that's... If there's 130 in the pot array, now there's 330. I have to call 100 to win 330. I got three to one on my money, and I've got, you know, open ended straight draw twice. There's no flush draw possibility or runner runner for that, but, you know, you could even, if you somehow get it in on with, with this guy, you can even make some sort of runner runner hand, too, that, you know, two pair or something. So you never know. But uh, I think the amount of money that you're getting on this, I think it's worth the call here. Yeah, what's going through my head, and it's it's. I know I'm complicating it because I know our cards and I know the board, and I don't think anybody else might be thinking necessarily this. But what I'm worried about is calling here, hitting my hand, and not getting any action because people are thinking, well, he hit the street. I'm not worried about that. Okay. 
Because first of all, I still want to win that money that's out there. That's a lot of money out there. That's true. And l- l- let's let's take a zero off his stack right now. Let's say he has one hundred and sixty dollars, and the bet instead of one hundred is ten. Are you calling ten with one hundred and sixty in front of you? Absolutely. Uh, yes. So I'm definitely calling a hundred with a, with sixty. No, I guess my point was, I mean, is there a case to raise here? Oh no, I know, and I was thinking that as well, but I was worried that I'm gonna, I don't want to get the entire sixteen hundred in on a straight draw right. when I can close the action for a hundred, and I'm happy you with don't that. Poke the bear here. Yeah, because easily someone could have ace king or even pocket kings, you know, or aces, and they're gonna want to get it all in with you. Now you're putting sixteen hundred out there on a draw. I'd rather put a hundred out there and see if I hit, and then reassess then get it all in now because I, I try to get away from that now with my game remember in the old days that's all I would do is I would shove on draws and everyone would know right. they would call me and if it, it would be a crapshoot after that so I don't really want to risk my entire stack or potentially risk my stack now on a straight draw so um, let's let's just call I think alright uh, so he says it's on me he says I think that the undergun isn't on a flush draw the bet seems like he's protecting one pair uh, ace king, king queen, maybe a jack jack or queen queen. He says, "Now I'd like to make fun of the middle position player. <laughs> <laughs> if he's on the flush draw, the under the gun bet isn't giving him the correct odds to call." Uh, but I said, "It's I like to make fun of him because uh, I call a hundred bet too, and if a flush draw isn't getting the correct odds, my open ended straight draw isn't getting the correct odds either. Mistake number three for calling, uh, or mistake number three for not raising." Uh, I don't think either of them are on flush draws, so as I said, I also call. All right, well, I don't think that's a mistake either. Yeah, I don't really think it's a mistake because you got that guy to call. And the other thing, too, is given that it was raised as much as it was, it's not they're not necessarily going to put you on 6-7, so you've also got implied odds here. I, I don't, like you were concerned a minute ago about when are you going to get paid off, but I, you got multiple people in this pot. That's true. So, you know... I don't really worry about that. I think that you got multiple people in the pot. They're not necessarily going to put you on the straight. And so uh, I think implied odds give you... I think it's the right odds anyway. You know, 330, 100 to win 330, you get 3.3 on your money for a straight draw. And, I mean, yeah, it might not be perfect, but you're going to get more money after the street if a four lands. They're going to think it's innocuous. Before a heart lands... I mean, they're going to be like, oh, I'm still betting my set of kings, or I'm still betting my ace king here. You know, I don't right, think they're not right. going to. And you got position on everybody, so I I don't mind that call at all. No, I think it's fine too. All right, we'll see. Uh, three of us to the turn, and there is now a joint in the pot, 420. Nice. You had to think about it for a minute. You got no, I, I got it right away, but I'm writing down. <laughs> I want to know what the turn is. <laughs> all right, the turn is the four of hearts. Oh my god, it's the exact card I just said. I don't have these hands of the week in front of me, people, by the way. I don't get them. They send them right to Scott, so that's hilarious. Uh, Flop is five of clubs, eight of clubs, king of diamonds, four of hearts, and Svengali Chris here is called the card. Wow. Like the Babe Ruth of the uh, Antioch Poker <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I don't have these hands, man. I don't. That was hilarious. The actual card. I man. Now he says, uh, if I was going to get lucky, I feel the four is the best card. I mean, nine rolls off. This seems uh, more of a visible straight card than the four. Could be wrong there, too. Undergone bets again, this time for 300, and the player in the middle folds. Well, now I'm happy to get, get a raise in. Because I think if I call, if I raise, I'm not, I'm not too sad if he folds, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a lot of money in this pot. There's a lot of danger, too. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put him on a flush draw, but it's possible. It's possible. So I'm going to give him another shot to get in there. The board uh, pairs. For it, right? Yeah, if the board pairs, then what do you do? So right. 
right? I wouldn't mind getting it all in now. I've got the street. I got the absolute nuts. It's it's disguised. So if he has ace king, he might still call. If he has aces, he might call. If he has an over um, over, if he has um, a set, you know, he might call. So if he has a flush draw, he might even call because he's got so much invested. I don't know how much this guy has left. I think the I think raising here now is fine. Uh, I see the Entergon at about fifteen hundred. Looks like okay. So if you bet three and then four, and then four, he has four forty involved. Essentially about the same as what we have. Yeah, but we're a little bit more, a little bit. So after, after that bet, he's got four forty or so invested. So he's got about eight nine hundred left. And you make it if he bets three hundred and you make it nine hundred, he can't yeah, fold. Right. So you might as well just shove anyway. Because yeah. I'm not going to fold on this river, even if it looks scary. I can't fold. So let's get it. Let's get some more money in. Yeah, I think that's what we have to do. And uh, it's funny when you're going to go back to when he says, "I feel a Ford is the four is the best card." I like his logic in that. Um, but the problem with the four, I think, in my is now if you're a good player, you're looking at the four. Like, why are we? Bet, why is he coming alive now with a four? And then if you start to study the board, then you have to start thinking about the six and seven, right? Um, because the four doesn't make sense as a as a kicker. For anything, right? It's not like you're playing King Four here, right? The only thing I can think of to combat that way of thinking is that you had a set on the flop, and now you're coming alive. Yeah, that's true too. But it's, yeah, that's but the that's only probably thing. Probably just as dangerous though, because you know, unless he has. But you're hoping for, yeah, you're hoping right. as a set you of know. kings or eights, yeah. Right. All right. I mean, it's not changing anything. It was just kind of an observation. Right. Right. That it's you know, it, it's perfect for making our hand. As strong as it possibly is. Right, right. Not be as perfect as getting as much money as, <laughs> as we like. So, uh, not that the nine would have really changed that too much, I don't think. Right, because you have to look at the board again and say, why a nine? And then you'd see six Four is a little weaker. I think, yeah. So, all right. Um, our hero says, since the middle position player folds, I stopped thinking about what kind of hands he might have had. Actually, at this point, I don't think about anything other than Yahtzee, <laughs> uh, which has to be a mistake number four or five. <laughs> What's he doing now? I wish I could say I was thinking, hmm, what's he got? But nope. Looking back, I should have maybe put him on a set here. Anyways, I just call. Yeah. See, now when the board pairs, which when he's talking about that set, it's almost, he's pretty much telling us exactly what's going to happen here. I don't, yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, the fact that you, he's probably not going to fold anyway, but I still think you got to get it all in here. And then give him something to think about. Yeah, really give, him the, give him the option to pull. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, obviously, if he's got a hand that, that we're going to ultimately win the river than we want him to call. But, you know, yeah, I, you know, I like to take a little bit of that chance out yeah. and give him the opportunity to fold here by yeah. shoving. Yeah. And then I have to worry about it, right? I always forget who says it, but there was a it was a line in a book, one of the poker books or something, but they said that the, the real money is made on the turn, you know. And at this point, you know, I want to make some money on this hand too. I I don't want to give up the nuts and be second thinking about it on the river. So let's just get it in. Yep. All right, two of the river, one thousand twenty in the pot. River is the six of diamonds. So our final board: five of clubs, eight of clubs, king of diamonds, four of hearts, six of diamonds. So I mean, we're not really afraid of a seven nine, are we? Uh wouldn't think we are, um, uh, but our hero says that card sucks. Why? 
Or if we're at the uh, times, we'd have to say that card S dash dash dash. <laughs> so because is it because he thinks because now there's a four card straight out there and he thinks our seven is going to be obvious to the guy and he's not going to get any more money out of him, or because he thinks seven nine is possible? Because if seven nine is possible, the way this guy's not going to bet three hundred with seven nine on that turn. I think so. So I, I don't care about that six. Well, let's see why he says so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Uh, no, it's fine. It was good to have that discussion, right? But. It's also good to make fun of you. So, um, he says, uh, that card sucks. It's not that I think he has 7-9, and now my second not hand is beat. I think that 6 puts the 4 to the straight on the yeah. board, so I'm not getting another dime out of him. I suppose if he has a set, I'm lucky, and the board didn't pair on the end. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he checks. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, uh, I'd bet, like, 300 like he did or something or 150 or something I don't know just something that I, so I got this come up with a number that I think he'll call I'm hoping that he has ace king or a set of kings and you know can't fold for another 150 or something but you know it, I mean it seems fishy if you bet that amount but it also might seem like you're trying to steal it so I'll come up with that number in my head whatever that would be maybe 175 or something I don't know um. Yeah. So he says. Uh, I immediately tossed out a large chunk of black one hundred dollar chips. Uh, my last bet is eleven hundred. Oh. Uh, he says my move is slight frustration, slight plan. I think I've heard that bluffs come out faster than considered uh, value bets. And as I said, I don't think I'm getting any call, even if I bet ten bucks. So the times I get a call versus all the million times I get a river fold, I want the one or two calls to be an insane amount. <laughs> Betting pot on the river gets me to that math. As many times as I forgot to think about my opponent and plan out a decent strategy, I do think this last move on my part was decently considered. I think it was a good discussion. You know, we, we talk about this a lot, that you know when people overbet on the end, um, it comes off for a first-level thinking player as a bluff. Right? Yeah. Or bet so much that you can't possibly call. When really, if you're playing against a player that thinks that way, it's a beautiful bet because now you're going to get them to call way more chips than they normally would because now they think that you're bluffing and that they can win that whole pot. Yep. I don't necessarily nope. think it's a bad thing. And he's right. If, uh, if the guy is looking at this, I thought, oh my God, a seven makes sense. If you think, and you, if you are that player, right, and you're looking back at this hand, now the seven does make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you were in this hand and you're the guy, you're the villain here. Right. Does that six really scare you? Because if if the guy has a seven in his hand, what card does he have that goes with that seven that he would stick around for all of this? A pair of sevens with two know. overs? I, I think the seven eight makes sense at that point because you look at the flop and now he's open ended, right? Or, no, 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 but he doesn't get there to the river. That seven makes no sense at all in his hand, and, and what, unless it's king no, seven. I mean, maybe. I said on the flop, it was open ended. He had six sevens, so the flop was five. No, not us. I'm saying that the villain. Like, no, in other that's words, what I'm saying if I'm if I'm the villain, I'm looking back now, and um, all right, so like now the six is here now, so that means a seven makes an easy straight, and you're asking me what kind of hand I could have with a seven in it. 
No, what I'm saying is why wouldn't he have recognized six seven on the turn? On the turn? Why would why does that six now make a seven possible in your head, but it doesn't on the turn when you call three hundred or whatever? When you, you know what I mean? That's a good point. It probably yeah, it probably is a thought that should have been there on the turn and So why now all of a sudden now he's like, Oh I, I mean I guess if you're asking me to come up with scenarios, the scenario would be that we don't always think of everything Yeah. At the at the right time. I guess so. That after we make a move then we then all of a sudden oh my gosh. <laughs> the three diamonds out there didn't see it. It's right. just weird. He doesn't see the six seven on the turn, but then when the six comes, then he sees a six seven in his head, and that's probably right. I, I can well, see the. This. If if he if he did kind of had a uh, the hair standing up on the back of his neck on the turn after he made that call, that maybe this guy has six seven. Um, and now we come out and we bet eleven hundred on the river. Does that not give us a pause? Because why would we bet so much there, right? Again? Yeah. It, it, a couple of things would come into my head if I was against this This now. I would say, is Jason floating me? Was he just waiting for the moment? Why didn't he raise on the turn if he had 6-7? Because I would have gotten it all in with him. But now on the river, now he's betting so much. Why didn't he raise me on the turn if he had the straight? Because he would have protected against the cards, the flush cards, and a different straight. Why didn't he protect against that hand on the turn? Why didn't he try to... Because he knows I probably couldn't fold on that turn if he makes it 900. So why didn't he raise then? He could have gotten my money then with 6-7. So why does he have 6-7 now? Yeah, hey, I, 1100 might be a good bet now. He right, might well, be thinking, let me ask you this too. Um, isn't this the way we've played the hand, and particularly this outsized bet on the river, consistent with the flush, a busted flush draw now? Yeah, it, it it is a little bit. It is, yeah, because I guess you would call that. You might. I don't know if you'd call that three hundred bet on the turn with one card to come for a flush. I don't know if you would do that. Um, but there's it, probably enough but, doubt there to start thinking or like, you know, hey, maybe he was on a flush draw and he missed, and now he's just trying to steal the spot. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just so much though. It's almost like if you're gonna call eleven hundred, why wouldn't you put in a stop blocking bet or something on the end? You know, well, I think that, zero. this is why. I mean, yeah. it, it's it, we're trying to represent a busted flush draw here and hope that he comes to that conclusion, conclusion yeah. which may not happen. But I think uh, Jason's point's right. It only has to happen once in ten times. Right, because normally you'd bet like a right? 150 or something. Yeah. Right, right. Wow. Eh, that's an interesting bet. Yeah, I'm not sure I would have came to that bet, but I uh, when I'm thinking about it, I, I really like that bet right now, so... What happens? All right. Um, he says, our opponent goes into a tank for a good two minutes and then finally announces all in. He says, which was odd because my 1100 bet had him covered. <laughs> uh, but just to be sure, I say call. All right, that's very important. He tables ace, ace. He did have aces. See, that was one of the things we were talking about. Wow, I would never go broke for $1,500 with just aces ever. Aces on that board. Unless it was free flop. But again, maybe, you know, uh, well, he's got some more discussion here, so maybe it comes up. But uh, but now, you know, that, that busted flush draw thing is making more sense now. And you look at it and, like, you know, hey, it, it's easy when you have aces to talk yourself into a bad call, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of, like, ignore a couple warning signs and then say, hey, well, he could have this hand. All right, yeah, flush draw, that makes sense on the flop. That makes sense on the turn. And now he's shoving big on the river. That, that makes total sense. He's got to have a flush draw. My aces are great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because you had aces instead of, you know, some other hand. That's... And then he shoves, too. Like, not 
you know, not knowing that he was covered, but I mean, he actually wanted to put more money in the pot than he had to. Yeah, if you well, thought, yeah, you know what I mean. At that point, just assumed that it was all wow. in anyhow. So, you know, you know, that's got to make uh, Jason feel pretty good. Uh, Ari says, "I flipped my hand over him for a second. The six covers the seven, so it looks like I went crazy with a river bluff and only a pair of sixes. But the dealer noticed the straight and makes the correct hand announcement. My opponent was slightly upset over the hand, and <clears throat> while I hate getting aces cracked as much as anyone, I'm just not sure I could have made the call there." I'm not saying I'm better than him. I'm saying I'm more of a scared player and would have seen the set or two pair or something and hopefully would have folded. Uh, or he put me on exactly what my overbet looked like, a last-ditch steal effort. Yeah. I'm not sure he was uh, pot committed, but again, what do I know? Anyways, that hand, a couple decently played pocket jacks, uh, got me to a 2500 profit for the day, and I can't complain about that. Sweet. You know what's funny is it's a five five ten game, and he said earlier that a lot of players were passive. And I thought, who gets into a five five ten really rock? Interesting point, right? And it's passive. Yeah. You know, I have, I've never played a rock game, but the games I've watched, uh, not a single one of them has been passive. Yeah, action junkies. Yep, so. that's crazy. But uh, kudos to Jason, man. That's that's a awesome bet on the end. I I don't think I ever would have come up with that. You know, I don't think I ever would have come up with that. Of course, I probably would have raised on the turn, but. <laughs> All right, another great show. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Locke. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.